0: Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to Storytelling, where we explore the stories, myth, and magic of the scar- of the starry skies. Right, <laughs> we always do these poetic uh, things together, and it's always a challenge for me. I get my tongue twisted. I'll get better. You um, wrote this one, though. I did. I did. I did. Uh, I'm here with our sacred astronomer and astrologer, Gemini Brett. Um, For those of you who don't know me, my name is Amanda Pua Walsh and I'm the founder of Astrology Hub. And today we are covering a small little topic. Where do we come from? And we're gonna be looking to the night sky, to the mythology to actually give us some clues for that. So very excited to dive in. Before we do that though, Brett, do you wanna start with a recap of our soul work?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So our, um, our Skyvenger hunt that we were doing the last few weeks we had the first last week we were to look at the the horizon at sunrise and to greet the planets that we met there. And then we've been in this Mercury retrograde story as well.
1: So just being with the rising sun and there's a thing I didn't say you could see I hesitated last time, but like to like reclaim a mythic experience of the rising sun. Yeah. Mm. You know, or even we could say maybe like a mythological experience, like to see that more than just like the spinning earth. Right. Um, I think it's a really powerful and important thing for the star student to do.
0: You know, in um, I've been a student of Hawaiian hula for 10 years, one of the chants that has been passed down through the lineage that I'm a part of, actually, we we call up the sun in the chant, but it's it's both the physical sun. I mean, they didn't actually think they had to go out and chant to, uh, for the sun to rise, but it was an honoring of the sun. And then also it was um, calling up the sun or the light within us. So it's like a simultaneous process of calling up the light outside, but also the light inside. So I, I love what you're saying. And I think there's a lot of merit to doing that. It's, it's like a daily reminder that we can have to call forth our own light.
1: It's such a powerful, you know, daily ritual. I I experienced that the first time on Haleakala in the House of the Sun in Maui and um, just heard, you know, as the sun was almost about to rise, people in this amazingly powerful, magical chant. And I was just like, what's going on? And there were a lot of people together chanting to the sun. And then, you know, you could tell better than I do, but the practice is you chant until it's come all the way up. Yeah. And so it takes a bit, you know, and so, and, and, and it was so cool to be an outsider and, you know, I wasn't too close to them. I was just like, wow, what's going on. And I could feel and experience what they were doing. And then it was just like, wow, what an incredible way to honor the sun. Cause I was up there to do that. Right. But with no tradition, and no guidance, just as a, as a mystic while I'm watching a sunrise and watching my shadow. And uh, yeah, so I have since gone up with, um, with folks who are chanting and and taught me to sing a bit and um it's it's a wonderful thing to do and i think just that idea whatever language you speak whatever song it is that is here to sing itself through your voice like sing to the sun as he rises in the morning and really experiencing that's you know tells us so much about the power of the ascendant like where things move from invisibility to to visibility or from below to above and so last time we were spending a lot of time speaking about This very significant difference of night and day, you know, and how it's a fun kind of at least proof for the truth that astronomical cycles influence our energetic experience as earthlings. It's the one that I like to start with if I'm ever in like debate with a rationalist who's open hearted and open minded enough to talk about why I study this strange thing called astrology. But you know, today I can't help it, my hair is just getting more and more mad scientist. So I think I'm gonna go way far off the astronomy books and into um, some of the myths that speak of the night sky and maybe answer a question that the astronomers of our day cannot.
0: Mm, that's exciting. Okay, before we go there, I wanted to share a letter that Liv from Norway sent in. Liv, thank you so much for reaching out to us. She says, thank you, Amanda and Brett, for storytelling. It has been such a blessing. My offering to Mercury. So we had the the Skyvenger hunt to give an offering to Mercury while we're in retrograde and then to ask for something for Mercury, for Mercury. Okay. So she says, my offering to Mercury is to not watch the news on TV in the morning and instead sit with my morning coffee and watch the sunrise. I have been through the... I should know this and the shame thing, real light bulb moments. It's amazing to feel the different energies as the planets rise above the horizon. I'm looking forward to March and my solar return ceremony. It's in the middle of the day, so I will be out listening to nature and spirit. I have an astrology education, very theoretical and psychological. It has been missing something, and I think storytelling has sent me in the right direction, out under the sun moon and stars love it doesn't that just it gives me chills it makes my heart so happy to think that Liv is taking this her study of astrology and now with your encouragement is going outside and having her experience of the sky Mm -hmm. it's just a beautiful thing
1: her story reminds me of a dear friend of mine and a teacher of mine who um (laughs) when she got this like giant crystal this amazing piece of selenite and she's like why are people watching tv she's like watch this man (laughs) so funny right but uh, you know another thing about that same teacher is like she had told at one point told me and you know like in just kind of looking into my heart and seeing some of the like suffering around like confidence and she encouraged me it's a really great thing that i've shared with many since uh when somebody says something nice about you, like repeat it to yourself twice, or maybe even keep a list for a while. Mm. Um, and I'm now like in my, my, my role right now, I mean, I, I hear so much really positive feedback from people. It's so lovely, you know, and I love, I mean, Anna could tell you that sometimes at the end of a day of like readings, I'm just like so charged up because I see these people becoming themselves and we exchange such like sweet things, you know, um, but nothing really, does it for me than hearing people say, wow, all I had to do was to be reminded to look up and to like go outside and like that matters so much. And it's this torch, you know, that like it was handed to me and that there's nothing more important for me to pass along, which is this opportunity to say, yeah, we've, we've learned all these roots and all these rules and these equations and the psychology and this beautiful thing called astrology. And what if we start seeing the chart there in, in, in nature? And yeah, and the sun tells more accurate news than the TV does, that's for damn sure. So here's to you, Liv, like we should all follow that advice, right?
0: Yes, absolutely. All right. So uh, one more announcement before we go into our our storytelling about where we came from. The waitlist for Brett's upcoming Sacred Astronomy for Astrologers class that we're going to be doing together, well, Astrology Hub will be hosting for Brett, is now open. So the waitlist is open. We will be opening registration up in March, but you can get your name on the waitlist now. And you can do that by going to astrologyhub.com slash sacred astronomy, astrologyhub.com slash sacred astronomy. And we'll be um, sending some information out to you, things that you can do to prepare for the course. So it'd be great for you to get on that list and we'll know that you're interested and we'll know that we can send some more information your way. Right. I'm so
1: excited about it. Um, I, you know, I teach certification courses for OPA and will for Kepler College coming up, and um, and it's great. But astrology is going to give me the opportunity to kind of expand the teachings by really teaching it my way, like to really do it kind of more in that shamanic, like embodied, outbuilding stuff, out being with the sky, take a little bit more time in that than the academic, and I'm so excited about it. Um, I'll say also like our last podcast about, you know, how do we communicate with the haters? Should we even try to, it was really wonderful to hear many people's feedbacks in the comments, whether it was on Facebook or on YouTube. I I try to look at all of them and it was really cool to hear some of your personal stories. It's really nice to hear some of you writing in like Liv just did. Amanda shared some really wonderful things with me and I really encourage you to, to like share with us and, uh, and, and ask questions and um, tell us the truth, you know? Um, So here's a good question for everyone. Where do we come from? (laughs) And I want that to be, in a way the um, subject of today the week the lifetime it's the question that i'm always asking and we a couple episodes back maybe a few now got to play with circles and crescents and crosses and explore this question through kind of the sacred geometry sister science and investigation of of the glyphs that we use um, to draw these the planets you know the way that we do today Um, and and so the circle of spirit i think is this intriguing thing um, I've chosen this cup. My friend made all these planet cups for me, so, but this one is um, the spiral, the galactic center, or like the womb, the center of it all. I was in Chaco Canyon a few years ago. It's a really beautiful sacred site in New Mexico. It's hard to get to. It was a summer solstice. I was just talking with Anna about this, I had the craziest mystical experience there that I'm not going to share today. <laughs> it had to do with a magical raven. But anyway, I was really tuned into a glyph that you see often in the petroglyphs, which is a spiral. And um, fortunately, the night that I was there, the astronomers also did this like slideshow at the kind of little observatory that's there. Um, because this is an ancient astronomer's site temples that are aligned to the winter solstice, sunrise, things like that, you know? And it was amazing in this um, presentation that they gave, they're like, yeah, we don't really know what the spiral's about. It seems like they're talking about everything comes from the source. So like, it's really beautiful things. And then they showed an image of like a time-lapse or what's called a star trails photograph image of the North star and all the stars that form concentric circles around it. You know, everybody's seen that, I hope. Uh, I think you'll see that, actually, if you go to the waitlist. I think that's the image that Anna used for the waitlist, is that kind of time-lapse image of, of of the sky around a pole and all these concentric circles. And it's like, look, if you don't have, like, star trails time-lapse photography, like, that experience of that sky, it looks like this. It looks like a spiral, you know what I mean? And, and it was, like, one slide after the next. And I was like, do you not see that? Like, that's what it is, right? Um, And it's so much more and it's this image too, like of galactic center or of like the black hole of this idea of the vortex that takes you into nowhere. And this whole image of like the void, right? From which we come or the womb from which we come, um, I think is a lovely thing. It's amazing as we study these different mythos, like they usually begin with, "In the beginning was the light or in the beginning was the darkness right? <laughs> but, but then, even if it's the in the beginning was the darkness, the chaos, the void, then comes the light. So either way, we can say we come from the light. Um, and I think one experience that I have often now with the sun is around this old story around um, the son of God that was born of a virgin. Do you know that story, Amanda?
0: The son of God that was born from a virgin.
1: Yeah, have you heard that one?
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty familiar with that.
1: Yeah, Horus, right? Um, <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, Horus.
1: <laughs> so I want to tune back into that. Haru, and in, in what I understand would be a more appropriate, like, version of the language that was actually spoken in a land called Kemet back in the day—the land that we now call Egypt—and um, we'll speak a bit about Osiris and Isis, who are actually like Greek names for these. Netters and Netheru, like principles from Kemet or from Egypt, um, where in, in Egypt or in that land they were known as um, Asur and Aset, um, and Horus, the, the Avenger, who is Haru. Um, and that that is Horus is the rising sun um, who defeats his uncle Set. So let's tune into that. Um, it's a really wonderful time to explore some of these energies in the sky now and so i've been asking this this question of like okay well i'm told by astronomers that the earth and all the planets of our solar system were actually born of the sun right which is this kind of cool thing because we were looking at that circumpunk symbol right like the the sun symbol of uh of the circle and the dot and how that there's this emergence you know i mean even if you take it all the way back to like the modern miracle or the modern priest class miracle, right? Which is the big bang, Um, which is a trippy thing. (laughs) Like you're told that like, okay, everything came out of nothing suddenly in an instant that like broke all the rules and like the physics doesn't work then like just give us one miracle. And then we're good from there. You know, <laughs> like we just need one, like every religion needs just one miracle, right? And that's the miracle of like the modern science religion, right? It's like, and it's a very um, yeah, part of me, but masculine expression of creation. Everything just ejaculated out of nothing, basically, <laughs> is that image to me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, wait, if everything came out of nothing, then certainly nothing must be everything. Like, how does that work? Right. Where did it come from before right you know uh-huh. um, and it's cool it's kind of like explosions like all the way down like Russian dolls in 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 this like modern kind of astronomical image of cosmological creation right that so in solar system it's it's a smaller explosion it's you know um monique who's been leading the inner circle um this month has been talking about kind of like, you know, maybe we're moving through a more activated place of space. And that's like, what's assisting in the evolution of consciousness, which seems apparent and absolutely not apparent at our time at the same time, right. That, you know, maybe space is not all just uniform and vacuum and that there's photon belts or like, you know, gaseous places we can cruise through. And that's a, you know, akin to kind of like the cosmology of, of like, how stars are born that there's just this pressure that these gases that are like left over from previous suns that have lived their lives and got bigger and bigger and exploded and supernovae you know and there's just stuff around and the stuff kind of comes together and it gets hot and pressurized and then there's these explosions you know and suddenly a star but like you know early version of the star with all this stuff and that as it accretes and kind of comes together it becomes a star sometimes two stars and the many planets and their planets moons and the things you know i mean i'm not going to teach astronomy 101 here and i'm not the cat to do it anyway like the astronomy that i teach is more our feet on the ground observing the sacred sky and learning how to connect the sky in the chart that's why i call it sacred astronomy right but it's cool to to tune into the cosmology of our day and so the general idea is that nebula right and i mean you know, wonderful thing to do is just to go to the gazillion Hubble telescope free pictures and just look at all the nebula. Like they are magical and have these fun names and these amazing shapes. You know, it really is like the shapes in the clouds. And I love how like the astronomers are celebrating that, you know, like the hourglass and the cat's eye and all these things. Um, and so it's generally known that nebulae, right? Or these really hot active birth centers, like mangers, right? For like, for stars to be born. And uh, and yet nobody knows where our star was born. So, you know, we're all kind of hit with this like primordial soup lightning strike that led to the salamander who is now you, like <laughs> Darwinian evolution scene, okay. Um, but that happened on earth and earth is a result of the sun, And the sun is the result of something else, you know, but where was that nebula that our our sun was born? It's fun, just as um, you were sharing earlier, it was was 342 here, it's now 10 minutes later. And um, I wanna talk about Messier object number 42 and three, the Trinity. Um, And 42, interestingly, in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Universe is said to be like the answer to all questions of the life universe and everything. Um, traditional hitchhikers guide people are gonna uh, ridicule me for paraphrasing that, but I do my best, okay? But I love that that number 42 is aligned to this thing because Messier object number 42, well, like any astronomer of the modern age worth their salt would probably like, smack me for saying this, I believe that that is where our son was born. Um, because the myths of many lands seem to tell this truth. And um, go ahead, Amanda.
0: What's it called again?
1: Well, the Orion Nebula.
0: Okay, <laughs> what were you right? calling it?
1: So Messier was an astronomer. And so a lot of these like, um, apparent naked eye things that we can observe, and I'll just cut to the chase your your skyvenger hunt for the week ahead will be to engage physically with the orion nebula and some stars around i'm going to show you some pictures of them so if you're listening to the um podcast version of this yeah just look up the orion nebula and find out where it is it's basically in orion's sword um and I have a feeling though, this certainly would not be suggested by the types of stars that are born there now, compared to our star by how far it is away, which is more than 1300 light years and some other things that it could possibly be where our sun was born. But the the very things that would absolutely rule out the potential that our star was born in the Orion Nebula um, are based upon a bunch of theories you know which are assumptions so a lot of times we're like proving things mathematically but we don't necessarily state the assumptions including like you know the um constants that we're using that oftentimes are invented to let the math work right so this is one of the issues with science i mean i don't have a problem with science in general the advancement of the mind and what we know i think it's great but sometimes like because of our assumptions, which are completely based upon the cosmology of the current time, we are going to just reject things that don't agree with it, right? So we're looking to prove what, you know, these things, but we're just proving what we want to prove, right? I mean, which is a challenge for certainly for astrologers too, like all the time. So, all right, well, let me show some pretty pictures and I'll tell an old story. Of a virgin birth um, and how the sun was born, and we'll tune into the stories from a, from a couple of other cultures too, which seem to um, support this strange thing. This is an image from a talk that I, I did last year, and, and maybe I'll show you guys where you can see it in full um, later on. But it's basically at my website. Um, but you know, one thing like what well, we heard, Liv saying, just like, "Wow, I'm, I'm going to the sun. I'm, I'm with the sunrise." Um, you know if she's doing this again and again, if any of you are doing this again and again at the time in which we're recording this, like soon you will see Mercury born as a morning star out of nowhere, you'll see Jupiter, like all of a sudden they're in the evening sky. And just as when we first started this um, journey together, Amanda, some weeks ago, you know, Jupiter was kind of going away in the evening sky as Mercury was becoming visible there. Now in the morning sky, Venus is disappearing and she, she'll, we won't see Venus for like two to three months as it is every 19 months. It's a sad time. And another time I think we can tell the story of, of the descent of Inanna and how that's linked to this Venus cycle. But just as Venus disappears, now Jupiter appears there and Mercury for a short amount of time, right? And so as you're watching these horizons, as you're making sunrise a practice or sunset a practice, or hopefully both, this new version of astrology happens. It's not just, oh, well, that's Jupiter in Aquarius, just where he was last week. No, he, he was in Aquarius as an evening star and then he disappeared, and now he's in Aquarius as a morning star. It's a different being. It's as different as watching the rising sun or waking up before the rising sun or watching the night after the sun sets in the west, you know? And the planets just teach you about that. Your energy, your experience, the things that you hear when you go out and connect will teach you about that. And Amanda, like I know you live in a in a in a sunset place, right?
0: Yes, definitely. So
1: watching the sunrise is tricky for you, like you actually would have to really make a mission or maybe go spend the night somewhere, right? That's how it is for us, too. We have a great view of the West but for the morning I have to kind of make a journey or get up and drive or maybe spend the night at my sister's house who does the east but not the west it's very rare to have both horizons or even one I'm very blessed to do so so and speaking of this is a photo from our house um, I guess last May and it's um, when Venus and Mercury were together here and I wanted to circle this star El Nath because it's a really cool star to get to know it's El n-a-t-h and it's the northern horn of the bull and it's usually the marker star that astronomers use for galactic anti-center so literally like if you're looking at that star you are in a place on earth where your back is to the center of the milky way galaxy which is said to be the sun of our sun right um and it's in the it's in a really powerful place right now um this is a long story but the signs and the constellations are not the same the tropical signs shift through the constellations over a great cycle called precession but right now in our day and age this sacred place of the sky which is where the ecliptic or the the plane of our solar system the path of the sun um, and the the milky way our galaxy intersect there's two of those places and one of them is the galactic center and one is galactic edge or galactic anti-center in our day and age that place hosts the solstice points and that's um, a kind of long story of why that's a big deal that's a big deal <laughs> i think more than anything will speak to the shift in the evolution and uh, the, the growth of consciousness that i i agree is very much happening right now so this kind of place is where the river of stars or the Milky Way intersects the solar system plane you know the solar system like our neighborhood and the Milky Way the galaxy like you know like the city or something um, so it's a it's a big deal where where those kind of you know it's like we're like uh, I don't know like the interstate freeways coming into like your local big road <laughs> you see what I'm saying and and so it's a really powerful place of the heavens and it's a place in the midst of a group of stars that modern astronomers call the winter hexagon. And it's very visible in the night sky now as we're recording this in mid-February in 2021, just based on where the sun is in relationship to this place. Um, It's very evident at sunset and for hours into the night. And so Orion is a very well-known constellation who is part of this winter hexagon. Um, which itself connects very bright stars that are called Capella, Castor and Pollux, the stars of the twins, Procyon, the small dog, Sirius, the big dog, Ursa Major and the brightest star of our sky, Regal, who is the foot of Orion, and then Aldebaran, the eye of the bowl. And they form this amazing like hexagon in the heavens, um, which the um, Lakota, Dakota-Nakota people know as the Sacred Hoop. So there's a really wonderful book called um, Lakota Star Knowledge by Ronald Goodman, which I really recommend. It's kind of a survey of like many Lakota elders at the Rosebud Reservation. Um, and they, they speak of, in, in the Star Mysteries, they speak of this place, the Sacred Hoop is where our souls come from. And then they say in this book, he basically transmits it this way. Like, then we will go to a place that sets in the Southwest, which I'm sure is galactic center. And it's the opposite side. Um, importantly, they, instead of using Aldebaran, the eye of the bull for the sacred hoop, they used the Pleiades. Um, and then here's an image. If you're watching a video version of this and the great Stellarium software where you can actually tune into other cultures star knowledge and constellations and show pictures of that and so we're looking at kind of a super constellation that the lakota call the sacred hoop or the racetrack many names and they use the pleiades right which is very important to these people as it is to the people of hawaii um, and the people of the southwest and all over the world there's this really deep soulful connection to the, the pleiades this you know magical cluster of stars in the sky. Do you want to say anything about the Pleiades in, in, in Hawaii, Amanda?
0: Well, from everything that I've heard from different kahuna that I've studied with, um, different books that I've read, the Hawaiians believed that they came from the Pleiades, that, that they're literal descendants of the Pleiades. So, it's definitely a very sacred place. They have the whole Makahiki Festival, which is The yearly festival tied to the rising of the Pleiades in the East. And I mean, it's definitely a core part. And and I don't, I mean, I, I've never had the opportunity to ask why specifically, like what, where is the mythology or the storyline and why? Um, I would love to be able to ask that at some point.
1: Yeah, and I would say ask the stars. You yeah. <laughs> might too. But yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, it's interesting, but um some say like the the Hopi say this, or the Lakota say this. That there's a lot of different traditions that are very connected to that place of the mm-hmm. heavens, and it is a part of this sacred hoop where we are said that to our souls come from. And then also this racetrack of stars or this this giant kind of asterism or super constellation of stars from different constellations. That's known as the winter hexagon for the Lakotos. It was this racetrack, which is a long story that I've told actually in one of the astrology hub ceremonies earlier this year. And also um, it's, it's known to be the inipi or the sweat lodge in the sky where we will be purified. Uh, when we die before we walk the spirit road, which is the Milky Way to somewhere that sets in the Southwest, which I'm sure is the, um, the galactic center.
0: Yeah, well, what, what I'm also finding interesting is I've been, I've also heard that there's certain uh, people who came from Sirius. And so seeing that they're connected here in the mythology, they're, they're not isolated um, stars. They're actually, there's a connection between them is, is just interesting.
1: It is totally. And you know, an amazing thing is that like constellations are very earthly. I know that sounds ridiculous, right? (laughs) Like stars are celestial, but Mm -hmm. the way that we assemble them into pictures is very much based on Earth's view of those stars, which are often like, you know, so far apart, like thousands of light years apart from one another. But here they look next to each other and one just happens to be much further away, but so much bigger that it's like the same size and shape as one that's much closer, but much, much smaller, that kind of thing. So I think it's really cool to know that like the constellations themselves are actually an earthly experience. They're not gonna be that different in Mars or Jupiter right. or whatever, but if you get out to Sirius, right, you're not gonna see this picture. Obviously you would be standing on one of the stars that's included here. You right. know, what do the Pleiades look like from there? What does our star, soul look like from there? And, you know, I, I always find that to be a wonderful, Well, trip. Yeah. So (laughs) all right. So this is where our souls come from. Now there's some whispers from the mystery traditions that seem to agree that this is the place of the heavens known as the silver gate or the silver key of Saint Pete. um, and that it's where we come from and that we'll be going to the golden gate. Um, not that bridge that's over there from where I sit, but uh, it's probably named for this. The mystery tradition says that there is a kind of a golden gate of our forward direction, where we where we will go when we die, um, or the the golden key. Interestingly, so. I recorded this time that was actually the exact opposite time of year from the uh, Makaliki festival, right? Which is the Hawaiian new year is tuned first and foremost to a, a, well, a moon phase, but a moon phase that's around the time when the sun is opposite the Pleiades, which happens in November. Um, The opposite side of the year the sun visits the Pleiades. So we were talking with Mercury a couple of weeks ago about when the sun's there with Maya, Mercury's mother, Right. That's like this idea of the Pleiades going into the cave, right? So much of what I've talked about here in the storytelling thing is connecting to the truth that, like the great light of the sun is where we go blind to the beings who get too close or go under the beams. Right. And so that happens like the sun kind of goes and and eats the stars and then they kind of pop out the other side and reborn in the morning. Um, and so I was gave this talk also around um, the, the dog days of summer, um, which is a term we still use, but I understand it's rooted in this idea that Sirius the dog star, as the sun gets close every year, will kind of disappear as an evening star and then reappear later as a morning star. And that in Egypt, that would be about a 70 day disappearance. And this is why it said that um, the mummification process was a seventy-day process. Mm. Mm. So the story I want to tell is about one of these. I'm wondering, sake of time, I want to find a short version, and I might cut to the second death, but I'm not going to. I'm gonna I'm gonna just tell the first short version of the first. So you know, importantly, it said that we are born once of our mother, and we can be born again and again of spirit. But you can only be born once of yourself, and that that is the ultimate rebirth, right? Um, and perhaps some of that story is linked here, but this is a story of, of Osiris and um, Isis who was his sister, his consort, his queen, the queen of heaven, and they were um, two of a set of four, The brother was Set and sister Nethis, and um, everyone loved Osiris and Isis, they brought us agriculture, they brought us civilization, they taught us so much of what it was to be human and awakening consciousness and spirit, um, everyone loved them, maybe it's up for Set. And Nephthys, it said, loved Osiris so much that one night she took Isis's form and became pregnant with his child who would be born as the jackal-headed Anubis. Um, but Set was very jealous of Osiris for he wanted Isis to be his. And she, Isis, told her husband, Osiris, her king to not invite their evil brother, Set, To a birthday party that Osiris was having, a solar return party, right? Um, But he's like, come on, he's our brother. And so Set showed up and he said he showed up with 72 of his peeps and brought the most amazing sarcophagus. And he said that whoever fit into the sarcophagus perfectly would be able to keep it to be buried. And, you know, it said that these, these folks were really into beautiful burials. Um, and so everybody gave it a try and nobody fit. And finally the birthday boy was asked to ha, you know, have a go. And of course it fit Osiris perfectly because it had been cut to his dimensions because this was a great trick. As soon as Osiris was inside, um, sets 72 henchmen slammed the lid and put chains around it and locked Osiris there and threw him in the Nile where he drowned. And came back to life later. The um, sarcophagus is said to have floated down the Nile and and found its way to an island off of Byblos. And uh, a tree magically sprouted through the sarcophagus on this island in which the island itself was growing. And this magical tree just sprouted instantly to gigantic wonder. And the King of Byblos heard about this and he knew that tree should be in his palace and so it was cut down and it was brought there and later someone else came and this was isis who was in disguise i mean in some ways it said that she was disguised in her pain for this is not her way but there was a hole where her love once was and she um took the form of a of a a human being and and became nursemaid to the young prince of this queen of Byblos. And um, some have suggested that needing to fill this hole where her love once was, she really took a liking to this young human being, this prince, and that she decided to give him the ultimate gift, which is immortality. And uh, and very importantly, people don't try this at home, because apparently, according to the story, the way you do this is is you hold the baby above open flames Um, And so this had to happen night after night after night. It said that uh, Isis there in this um, palace with this pillar that she could feel her husband was trapped inside would take the form of of the bird, of the falcon and fly around this pillar and then come and perform the sacred ritual with this child and bring him and bathe him in the flames. And then on the last night that was required for the last pieces of mortality to be born after this child so we could receive this greatest gift of immortality his mother walks in it was like what the what are you doing like with my baby and the fire right and so isis puts the baby down and then reveals her true form the queen falls instantly to her knees isis my queen i'm so sorry i had no idea this was you what can i do you know, and it was something like, yeah, well, my husband's in that pillar and I'll be taking it home now. And so it was. And um, Isis retrieved Osiris's dead body from the sarcophagus within this pillar, within this tree, and uh, magically brought him back to life. So the second time Set didn't do that whole kind of Cinderella slipper sarcophagus thing. He just cut his brother into 14 pieces. And... Um, scattered them throughout the land of Egypt. And it's said now that Isis with the help of Nephthys and Anubis and Thoth, Jehuti, the the scribe, um, went searching for these pieces and that everywhere one was found, they consecrated one of the sacred temples of Egypt that stands still today. There's 13 of them because one piece was never found. Osiris's phallus was um, fed to the crocodiles of the Nile. And this was a huge problem because resurrecting the king without that important piece to create a hair wasn't gonna get the job done for Isis and Osiris did not have a child. And um, it said that Thoth created this kind of magical golden phallus for Osiris and that Isis flew as a bird above and became magically impregnated with their child. Who would be born? Horus, the Avenger, Heru, the rising sun. Osiris then went through the duat, through the underworld, you know, which it said actually, the sun does every time it sets in the West, I'm told that in the ancient tongue in in Kemet, there was no word for death. They would just say Westing
0: Hmm.
1: because it was known that what what, what rests in the West will eventually rise again like the sun does in the East. It's a very beautiful thing, yeah. Um, And so Osiris went through the underworld journey and um, eventually became the stars of the heavens that many of us now call Orion. And so you know the orion mysteries when you tune in kind of like the greco-roman transmission not such a nice guy not a nice guy hunter bragging to artemis said that he could kill every living being on earth and so gaia created the scorpion to hunt him and all this you know um so i like to connect when i engage with orion in the heavens um, with, with this figure of Osiris, with this one, this um, principle of light and teachings and civilization and honor. Um, and there, like there's, there's, a, there's a lot of like good father energy there. And it's in such a sacred place of the sky, this place, it said, from which we come now. The brightest star, um, mm-hmm. Sirius, which follows Orion through the heavens, um is said to be Isis. And so forever there they are in the heavenly places, you know, mother and father of this virgin birth of the son of God. So I know when I asked you that before you were probably thinking about a cat with a different name and we'll get back to him in a second, but I want to share this, right? So Orion, everyone knows Orion's belt. It's a very amazing thing. I will show you another time how like the weird folks of Washington DC and their temple of a city um, built this strange phallic obelisk to um, reference this place and it's aligned and to how in our day and age Orion's belt stars rise like a pillar in the east in northern hemisphere skies. It's an amazing thing in, in the time in which we live. Um, But beneath those three very bright stars, Orion's belt stars is Orion's sword. Well, if Orion is Osiris, certainly this would be the golden phallus. And there's three stars there too. So they're, and it's almost kind of perpendicular to Orion's belt stars, they're not exactly. Um, But there's three stars and actually the middle one is not a star at all, but rather the Orion Nebula. Which you know, dare I say, has a very um, feminine vibe to it—a very kind of you know, womb, womb-ish vibe. And it is known to be a birthplace of stars, like a womb of stars. This is what nebula are. It's such a beautiful thing to behold, and there's deep mysteries in the Orion Nebula that seem to be painted in times and sacred works. The well before any telescope could have seen this thing to the resolution in which it is painted and honored. So whether that's channeled in or something left from ancient traditions, it's you know hard to say. But I do feel that this story is telling us that the sun <laughs> was born in this place in the golden phallus of Osiris, which would be Orion's sword. And so, you know, skyvenger hunt this week. Go engage with Orion. Find Orion's belt stars. Um, look just below, much more dim. Um, but find the smoke of creation and why do I say it that way because that's how the Maya described this sacred place of the sky the Maya it's still to this day when newlyweds are married and they have now a new home their tortilla grill will have three stones which are known as the hearth stones and these three stones are represented in the, uh, they represent the stones of the heavens, the hearthstones of the heavens, which are um, one of Orion's belt stars, the um, easternmost belt star, and then Orion's two feet. Okay, so Regal, siph and Alnitak. And um, these stars, it is said by the Maya, they surround the smoke of creation. So when the newlywed couple moves into their new home, the village fire is brought to their griddle and you know, in this wonderful ceremony, but those three stones on the griddle represent these three stars of the heavens that surround forever the smoke of creation. So it feels to me that we have a few sources here, right? In Egypt, a story that was actually only told from the Greek. And I think this is a very important thing um, that when we try to get to the source material Of the ancient wisdom and this is true whether we're looking for the old astrology or whatever like you know the druids are well known to have been quite literal but none of the spiritual tradition was written it was passed orally it was like a mandate that it would never be written down it was preserved this is true in many indigenous cultures today for a very important reason and so as we're kind of looking into the the roots of western astrology in egypt and alexandria which was this beautiful melting pot, right? Why? Because of conquerors actually, right? But it was a very cosmopolitan center where all of these different wisdom traditions were coming in. Well, I think that they weren't getting at many of the source um, transmissions from that very land because it was very intentionally not written down, right? So that in the case of conquering or whatever, it would be preserved. And this is true still in many places, it's very kind of very much the story of our day. Okay, so the Maya, these three hearthstones surrounding the smoke of creation, messy object number 42, Orion Nebula, okay, that that is the golden phallus of Osiris, right, from which our own son, <laughs> Heru Horus, was magically seated, And in the Lakota, this is part of the super kind of constellation or asterism known as the sacred hoop where we're told our souls come from and i imagine there are many other stories from many other lands that speak to this now orion is a very beautiful and kind of obvious constellation in the sky Um, you know you can imagine that many cultures would connect these dots in very similar ways um, because it's very prevalent and bright you know in hawaii while there are certainly um, a deep tradition of of seafaring and, and star navigation for what i've heard about orion it's kind of like a modern creation because nobody from what i have heard or not has yet been revealed had like an ancient expression of like that giant constellation it's often called like um the 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 child's cat's cradle like that game that's played so orion can kind of look like that right um So there's a wonderful thing to bring this back to sunrises and sunsets. It's said that Horus was born, the son was born to avenge his father's death and um, that this vengeance takes place every time the sun rises. But then his uncle wins at night, every night when the sun sets, Hmm. which we pronounce that way for this was the name of the one who ushered his brother Osiris through the underworld into the heavens. So there's one more piece here. Um, you know, when I show Orion and Isis, there's Sirius kind of traveling together as Osiris and Isis. You know, maybe it would seem Horus is all the bra on the eye of the bowl. No, it's not that son, our son. And there's this amazing piece, which might bring it back to the spiritual tradition into which you were initially raised from what I understand, Amanda. Um, in the 17th century, the constellations were Christianized, right? So, like, get like kind of scrub the pagan off and like make them proper, right? And yet, I would say the mysteries were very much still written in the stars. So, one thing that's very interesting is that what we call Orion, what was once known as Osiris, in this Christian constellation map created by Julius Schiller was Saint Joseph, who carries the acacia sprig and there's much more to the story, but of course, Saint Joseph representing Joseph, you know, maybe not the father, right, but through some other form, the, the you know, the, the one who raised the Son of God. So what's not so clear as it was in this tale that's handed down through the Greek from Egypt, which was that there was no hiding that Horus was not only the the son of this magical virgin birth, but the sun in our sky. Um, That's not something that's often spoken of Jesus Christ, but here in in Schiller's own transmissions, what he said is that um, in this monumental star atlas The Coelum Stellatum Christianum replaces all the traditional names of the constellations with Christian ones. Uh, The names of constellations in the Northern hemisphere are inspired by the New Testament and early history of the church. Aries is now St. Peter, for example. The Corona Borealis is Christ's crown of thorns. Cassiopeia is Mary Magdalene which if you know the story of Cassiopeia actually sadly is not an honoring of Magdalene, uh, which it would surprise us from this tradition if she was, right? That's a long story for another time and one I'd love to have, um, or a conversation I'd love to have. But we read also that the planets of the solar system have new names. Saturn is Adam, Jupiter is Moses, the sun is Jesus Christ. The Earth's moon, the Virgin Mary, so you know, there were three Marys at the crucifixion, and I would say one um, is the maiden, the waxing moon, right, one is the mother, the full moon, and one is the, the crone, the, the waning moon, right, and that, that very image of Mary and therefore also of Magdalene is, is moon, the companion of the sun. So there's this thing that Jesus said that astrologers love to share the the night before his death, according to Mark. And this is Mark 14, 12. And the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover, his disciples said unto him, Where it will thou that we go and prepare that thou mayest eat the Passover? And he setteth forth two of his disciples and saith unto them, Go ye into the city, and there shall meet you a man bearing a pitcher of water follow him right um, so f- another one of the gospels actually says it this way follow him into the house in which he dwells well the signs were once known as the terrestrial houses and the water bearer certainly sounds like the one we call aquarius so many have looked at this as kind of a transmission from jesus speaking to the coming age of aquarius but he doesn't say when Unless you flip the page. (laughs) When Christ is on trial, the whole gig was to get him to blasphemy publicly so they could justify his murder, right? And um, we read this, but Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? I am, said Jesus, and you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the mighty one and coming on the clouds of heaven. Many translations say power instead of mighty one there, but I like this translation because the mighty one is Orion. The clouds of heaven are the Milky Way, right? And the right hand of Orion literally points to the Milky Way, where in our day and age, and this is like a kind of 50-year window every 26,000 years, and we're in it. In our day and age, that right hand of the mighty one at the clouds of heaven hosts the zero cancer point the north point of our zodiac and that means in northern hemisphere places like in jerusalem that's where the summer solstice sun the height of the light is and it was in 2001 and uh, 19 years before then and very importantly last year in 2020 when we had a solar eclipse right so moon and sun visibly becoming one like mary and jesus if you will in the midst of this sacred hoop where we are told our souls come from, right? There on the right hand of the mighty one whose sword holds that nebula that I believe in the center of the hearthstones, the smoke of creation that I believe literally is the place where our sun was born. And then, of course, our planets are born of that. And as I said earlier, this very much defies like modern astronomical thought. So please don't say this is some kind of astronomical truth or you'll find this on an astronomy website. For me, this is ancient astronomy. And the way that the stories of old, especially when we heard them spoken in different ways from different cultures around the world, including Christian interestingly, like mystical Christian, the way that I hear it, um, are telling us about our home zone. And the Pleiades live there. And there's a chance that I think maybe all of these places, which are in the Orion arm of the Milky Way, which is where we are said also as our sun and our system dwell, that we're all kind of like sister stars that emerge from the kind of spiraled out of the same place. And you know, one of these assumptions, like what I talked about before, that would say there's no way this is true is based upon that we are of the Milky Way and we're well out of time, but I will say that there was some decent, you know, like kind of accepted telescope guy, astronomer work um, at the University of Boston. And gosh, I want to say Virginia, but that's wrong, but I can't remember. It was some years ago where they basically looking only at super red giant stars, which are like said to be older than the Milky Way. um, They were able to see for the first time, just why maybe the galactic cross, the this cross uh, where the sun is in this image, if you're watching the video version, where this whole idea that the, the galaxy and the solar system planes are not coincident. It's a strange thing that we're in this kind of spiral galaxy, as it said, but we're not like in the disk of the spiral. We're like going up and above it as we, according to the modern cosmology, like as our sun and our whole system orbits the galactic center in like 242 million years. But what this research of this, um, this uh, study seemed to suggest was because they saw that these super red giants were at this same kind of like angular divergence that we see between the galactic plane and the ecliptic or the solar system plane, that it seemed to suggest that perhaps we don't come from the Milky way but rather that we come from what they used to think was the Sagittarius dwarf galaxy and then now understand is actually the Sagittarius galaxy and as galaxies do seems to be merging with the milky way and so that what the milky way actually is is like our new home it's like two galaxies you know they mate they become one right so that i know is like a lot of kind of science <laughs> and kind of heavy vocabulary or whatever but i will just say that the very things from what i can understand and i maybe don't know enough that astronomers would use to disprove this idea that perhaps we come from the orion nebula one they, they like different kinds of stars and our sun seem to be born there at least now But this would have been a long time ago um and also just based upon how far it is and where they've known has always been our home but there's a chance that that's not quite true and that our son's on a little bit more of a journey than is kind of currently understand to be the truth and i hear that kind of whispered in these ancient transmissions but i might just be liberally hearing what i want to hear to tell a cool story um by the way if folks want to see like a longer version of that transmission and, and why in our day and age, this kind of sun on the cross scene prophecy really seems to be coming true. Um, go to geminibrett.com and go to the offerings page and you'll find a, um, a movie there called the sun on the cross and the turning of the ages. And take this astrology hub sacred astronomy course and you uh, on the other side of it will have the vocabulary, um, first of all, you'll have very intimate experiences with the sky, which are much more than just learning words and repeating equations and stuff. That's not the kind of astronomy I teach, but you will have a vocabulary that just as it is, as you're st- learning astrology will allow you to speak this language in a way that right now might see unattain- seem unattainable. It's not.
0: Mm, okay. So we have the birth of the sun, our sun, which is coming from. The smoke of creation, which is under Orion's belt, which is basically the golden phallus of Osiris, which is Osiris and Isis who came together to have Horus, which again is the birth of our sun, And you're saying that that's where we come from because we wouldn't be able to be here on earth without the sun. So the earth follows the sun.
1: Amazing, Amanda. Perfect. I'm so <laughs> glad that you can follow that madness.
0: <laughs> I mean, those those are the notes that I took down. I was like, I think that's the major bullet points if we were gonna break. It down.
1: Exactly what I'm saying. And then fascinatingly, when the constellations very recently were Christianized, they seem to they're hold corroborating
0: that, that, that truth evidence. Totally.
1: Yes. And also speak, I think very importantly to the power of our time. Now right. again, don't go to the astronomy books to confirm this one it ain't happening. Uh, right. they'll, they'll certainly deny it for you if that's what you're looking for. So enjoy yourself if it is. Um, but again, your skyvenger hunt for the week, uh, get out and just drink some of that Orion. I mean, it's in the Pleiades and serious. It's just, it is the time of the year right now to just engage with those beings in the south southwest after sunset and they're up all night and it's just so powerful and if you get some binoculars or like a good zoom lens on a camera or look through a telescope the orion nebula really comes alive i also encourage you to spend some time looking at some of the hubble pictures of the orion nebula there's something to it and uh just as we were saying before well you know maybe the elders aren't going to tell us or maybe not even be able to tell us like why there's so many tribes that are saying that we actually come from the pleiades but ask the pleiades and maybe you'll hear a song in your head that confirms or tells you all you need to know and the same thing with orion's orion's sword and the orion nebula just this you know journey into that place and tell me what you find so please use the comment sections of these videos to let us know how this thing landed for you Um, and let me know where we come from on any level that, that, um, question sparks in you. I'm always interested to hear from, from my fellow mystics and seekers, just where it is that we come from and where we're going.
0: Brett, I have, this is going to be one of those, I should know this sort of questions and I'm just going to say it. I've looked for the Pleiades with my little app thing. Nothing says the Pleiades.
1: Oh, so there's, you know, some of what the apps will for? actually, but you could type in, so you're like able to kind of search for stars and it will point to them. No,
0: but I, I mean, I know like theoretically where they should be. So I'm looking for it.
1: Yeah. Then- so you can, I mean, you actually probably can do a search and maybe type it in. I always spell the Pleiades wrong. Um, mm-hmm. You could search for the star um, Maya, which is okay. M-A-I-A or Electra is another one of the Pleiades stars. Okay. Um, Or Alcyone, A-L-C-Y-O-N-E. But let me show you just here, right? So this is um, California in this moment, looks a lot more like that, but I'm gonna go to sunset. And maybe an hour later, you know, here's like um, what, 8.30 PM? Mm-hmm. um and mars actually so amazingly right now is very close to the pleiades ah okay um, so if you find orion orion is said to be hunting the bull and so a star that you'll go to and some say that this is hoka and, and hawaii red star right mm-hmm. some some say that that title actually is it belongs to capella up here um but orion's hunting the bull So he's like facing the bowl and you'll see that what's called the Hyades, which is this beautiful V shape um, in the bowl's face. And then on the back of the bowl sit the Pleiades. And once you connect, they're just so undeniable. And then a fun thing right now to Mars, who's so high in the Hawaiian sky, like literally overhead, right. Um, overhead. As we go through the days, like I'm here's February 18th, 19th, 20, 20, you know, the Pleiades in our day and age mark the border between tropical Taurus and Gemini so as Mars is ingressing Gemini on our charts or at 29 Taurus on our charts Mars will show you where the Pleiades live and here in Stellarium let's see if I can yeah that looks like it's kind of um three three Mars so you know I told you I was going to talk about the Trinity I guess that's the right place to end so as you're watching Mars now just dig every night as Mars is day after day, night after day, getting closer and closer. And then it will be around March 3rd where he's as closely aligned to the Pleiades as he can be. Um, so, you know, when when I'm out with people um, under dark skies, I love bringing out like the laser pointer. Um, I try not to shoot it at like Mars. It seems like a bad idea, um, <laughs> but you know, it's cool when the planets themselves will be the laser pointer. Yes. But like every time the moon ingresses from Taurus to Gemini, she'll show you where the Pleiades are. And Mars does this about every two years. And now's the time. So
0: nice. Awesome. Amazing. Thank you so much, Brett. This is so illuminating. So much food for thought. So many um, uh, adventures that we can have with the sky. I know I've been mesmerized by Sirius. I even texted Brett one night. I was like, Let's talk about Sirius because I really want to know more. I really want to know more. So we will on an upcoming show of storytelling for sure. And um, thank you, everybody, for being here. Thank you, Brett, for sharing your wisdom, your storytelling, um, your, your interpretation of the mythology and how it comes together across these different cultures. It is very unique and precious. And I want to thank you for holding that for us and then encouraging us to tune into our own stories and our own um, the way that we're interpreting the stories as well. And then share that with each other because Mm -hmm. that's how we create this collective body of knowledge and information. And we can help take each other to different levels. And like you said, the, the Hawaiians also did not write down their traditions. It was passed through in the chanting. It was passed through in the stories. It was passed through in the hula. And so there's a lot of this that we need to tune into um, energetically, you know, there's there's like a frequency, I think, that we can, where we can find this knowledge and this information. And like you said, it, this is creating it in our modern times. So um, it's really such a pleasure to share this space with you, to share this space with all of you out there. Um, I'm going to be ordering my telescope today, which Yay, is so nice. exciting. Oh my gosh, two weeks. It should be here in two weeks. And then who knows how long it's going to take me to figure out how to set it up but um, it is coming. That's going to be really fun. And um, I'll share everything that I can with all of you. Brett, thank you for being here. For those of you who want to be on the wait list for our Sacred Astronomy for Astrologers class that is going to be coming up with Gemini Brett here very soon, you can go to astrologyhub.com slash sacred astronomy and you will be put on the wait list and we'll be sharing lots of nice things with you before the course starts. All right, thank you. See you in space, friends. See you in space.